0: All right, let's take our Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 6. We were there this morning. We'll be in verse 19, and we'll be bouncing around several places in the Bible. We had a board meeting uh, about the budget. (laughs) So this is good, talking about a, a very good reminder of why we're doing what we're doing. I'm thankful, you know, our approach when we do that budget is we try to adjust for, you know, things going up. You know, for example, we're trying to guess you know, property insurance, what that's going to look like and all of that. But uh, we fully trust the Lord to meet our needs, and He has. Just in this past year, 2023, with the air conditioning needs and the roofing needs, you're talking well over $90,000 that God has provided. Uh, So we just continue to trust Him. We do not hold on to the finances as if we had a bunch of sand in our hand and we grab and make sure nothing's getting through. We just have an open hand. And whatever God gives to us, we'll hold on to it. Who chooses to take from us; it's all his, and that's how we look at it. But uh, in that budget meeting, you know, you're going back and forth, and you're just trying to make wise decisions with what God has given you. But I'm really glad that our approach is not: we have to panic. All these things are increasing. What are we going to do? I can confidently say that there was no panic in that meeting. We called Dr. Polson. You know, Dr. Polson has not been with us for a while. His wife Nancy. She's um, has terminal cancer, and you know he's just spending time with her, but we call him on the phone, and, and that was a two and a half hour meeting today, and then Louie is in the hospital already with heart issues, and then we asked him to sit through a budget meeting. <laughs> if you know much about Louie, that might cause an, you know that might cause a heart attack, but <laughs> um, it was nice. we just we had we had good discussion. it was very lively. We were excited to see what God has given us in this year. And then we make plans for next year, but there are, there's a real possibility that the plans that we make are not the plans that God wants us to do. And we go into these meetings not saying, this is set in stone and how dare we ever move from it. We as the elders have established a plan. We go in there fully trusting that God has a will and we want to be in line with that will, even to how we spend the money. And, and we try to allocate those funds as much as we can. If you want to look for an opportunity for a church leadership group to fall into sin, you start talking about finances. That's where people begin to exercise their greed for materialism, just to have more and more and more. Some churches would think it's a great thing to have some large savings account with money put in there. I'm not against savings accounts, but I think if you're you're using people's tithes and offerings to the Lord properly, You should have money put away, but that should not be your badge. Oh, look, we've saved all this money. We need to be wise with what we do, but what comes in should be then reinvested into the ministry. You know, just as an example, we set a limit on our Bible line stuff this past year. I love Bible line. That channel is rocking out, man. It is. Kaylee's interview is on there, by the way. You did a great job. Um, I encourage you to watch that channel but we have literally planted seeds of faith with that channel. We spent some money in the beginning to get good cameras, get good lighting, and I went and hired somebody. And Trent has proven to be the guy. By the way, when Trent applied for the job, he was applying for the youth director job and the media coordinator was something on the side. And he's he's grown into both. But we put a lot of faith and stock and we want to build good content. So this past year, having built good content, we wanted to start using advertising dollars. And we're not buying views, we're buying the opportunity for people to be exposed to us. And that is working. And the channel's almost, are we close to 6,000 yet? And we're real close there and it's, it's gaining a lot of traction. And uh, the number of subscribers is not really where I think the success is. It's the amount of people that reach out to us and say, I found your channel when I was listening to, I'm talking about big algorithm names. What do I mean by algorithm YouTube wants to sell you ads. That's what they want to do. So if they find you watching 90% of a video, they're going to suggest content that is similar to keep you on the site to sell more ads. Well, we know that. That's a good business practice for YouTube. I mean, they're making a really pretty penny off of that. And we want to make sure that we are the next video that's suggested for people. Because very uniquely to our ministry, we believe we're teaching sound theological truth on all levels. And that's working. We were getting, I think at one point it was like 100 subscribers a day on one of these programs that we were running, one of these ad campaigns. But we said we're going to do $5,000 and see how it works. And we we, we didn't put that inside the church budget. We asked for people to donate and God met that need. And now we're looking at a channel that's growing pretty rapidly and is very successful. And we have no plans to make a Patreon account or anything like that. We're just going to continue to Give people the content freely and ask people that want to help, support it, to do so. I've seen ministries that need financial help and they simply ask for it and God makes it possible. When you have a view of money that is proper, meaning it's 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 a tool that God gives to you to use for his honor and glory, then it doesn't matter how much you bring in and how much goes out. And I'm not saying you be irresponsible with your money, but it's the love of money where the problems start coming up if you have a board of elders that is looking at the world and saying things are not good the economy is bad we're kind of riding on an inflated system which are all true of things today and if that board decides we're going to start hoarding money because that's just a wise thing to do you're running into a problem because what that is showing is you're trusting in the, the the money that's in the bank account to meet all of your needs uh, somebody in my family went to make a large purchase and they went to the bank to get money that was on the ledger. What I mean by that is they logged into their account, there's the money, they go to get it and the bank goes, oh, you can't take that much out. We don't have that much. And you you, you come to realize a lot of this stuff is just numbers on a piece piece of paper. If you were to go, I I think I read this stat like two years ago, so it's got to be different now. 3% 3% of Americans would be able to get the money in their account if everybody rushed the banks tomorrow when they opened, or let's say Tuesday after processing. That's kind of scary, right? You could have $100,000 in the bank, but if you need $100,000 cash, it's not happening today. That, that's a major issue. And some people kind of just depend on the amount in their account or the fact that we have all this <laughs> stuff saved away. That's what we're going to put our trust in when things get bad. What if that all goes... Where's your trust now? Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount here. Actually, he's he's on the tail end of it. He's finishing up his discussion. We just looked at the Lord's Prayer this morning, and this is right in line with this discussion about this question. Really, the question is not posed by Jesus, but we can form the question based on what he's talking about. How's your heart? Meaning, how is the way you perceive and think on things? How's your heart in regard to prayer? How's your heart in regard to what you're laying up rewards for? And he goes after the financial aspect because in the Jewish culture, and especially really in any culture, the accumulation of material things makes you somebody of worth and stature. I mean, look at today. If you see somebody who's got a lot of wealth and they're wanting to boast in that, how do you see it? Well, it's in the material things you see in, the, in, in maybe the car that they drive or the house that they live in. They want to make sure people see, I have money and this is how I'm spending it. There's billionaires who don't spend their money that way. And that's something that we should note. I'm not saying they have all this wisdom. But they treat money differently than than the people that kind of hold on to it. And it's the possession of it where all the joy is. Because at the end of the day, folks, when you die, you're not taking anything with you. Lost person or saved person, nobody's taken a dollar to their name. There's some great stuff in Ecclesiastes that talks about a man can plan his whole life and when he dies his plans die with him. It's so grim, but it's so true. Think about, you know, all the things you want to do with your retirement account. All the things you want to do with your savings account and you died today. Who else knows those plans? Maybe your spouse, but do they have the same desires exactly as you do? Probably not. And now that you're dead, things have changed quite drastically, so that money's going to be used for a different purpose. We can plan and plan and make plans with our money, and the next thing you know, you're dead. And you're not going to get up there, and and the Lord's going to hand you your wallet like, hey, you left this behind with you. You (laughs) But sometimes we think like that. Sometimes we think like, oh, man, if, if I just had a little bit more of this, everything would be better. Jesus goes on to teach a lesson here, and there's a very important lesson that we see In where do our desires lie? And when he's talking about this, he's talking with a kingdom perspective. When you and I get to rule and reign with the Lord, the only thing that we'll take with us is what we did here. That's pretty significant. Before we go into the kingdom, we are seen by Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and we're given a reward for our profitability. You know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's my belief that when that those rewards are given, that determines how and what you'll be able to rule and reign with, in the kingdom. I do not believe in this teaching that is—I don't want to say prominent, but it is popular—that the unprofitable servant that is discussed in the parables is the Christian who did not do anything for the Lord here, and they spend some one thousand years separated from the Lord forever. Or excuse me, in uh, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. There are people who teach that, and the idea is you don't want to spend a a thousand years separated from God, but you have to understand there is no punishment remaining for the sin of the believer. Why? Because Jesus has satisfied that. The judgment seat of Christ is not bringing up your sin again. We are passed from death into life, as Jesus says, never to be brought into condemnation, and there's no separation waiting because as Paul very confidently taught at the end of the rapture passage in First Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So if we're going to be with the Lord forever, that includes the thousand year reign. Now, the quality of our service, the responsibility that we have to rule and reign with the Lord, I believe will be determined by what we do with the time we have here. And that is a very strong motivator. If you see all that God has given you just in His Son, what other motivation do you need to serve Him while God is going to reward you for your service here? And when I was in my infancy of of studying the Bible and and kind of going through these things, I kind of immaturely and pridefully rejected this idea of, well, you know, I'm not serving the Lord for rewards. That's not a good thing. But the more I've come to read the Bible and see how God operates... He chose for it to be that way. So there's got to be some value to it. I don't think it's wrong to serve the Lord, to be rewarded by him. It's not to lift yourself up. If you're doing it so that you can be some great somebody, it's not going to be like that in heaven. We're going to have resurrected bodies in heaven. That's a pretty interesting concept that I don't think you and I understand because we have a sinful body here. Our old nature really affects every part of us. You ever thought you were doing something correctly and then you come to find out you had deceived yourself or misunderstood something or you left something out or you started to elevate yourself through pride? It can happen very subtly, but that's because we struggle with a sin nature here. When we are in, uh, with the Lord in 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us very plainly that this mortality, this temporal body will put on immortality. The corruption will put on incorruption. 1 John chapter 3 tells us that we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to see him, be like him, see him as he is. That's an important note. We're going to be like him. I don't think that means we're robots. Did Jesus have emotion here? He absolutely did. Was he grieved? Absolutely. He was afflicted by the human body, the conditions of the human body. He had no sin. That's the difference. But I think when we get to heaven there is an opportunity for us to be grieved as far as the judgment seat of Christ for what we could have done. And and that's something that you're going to have to reconcile with when you get to the judgment seat of Christ. I don't think it's this idea of Jesus beating us for being unprofitable. We're just going to have all that we earned. And for some of us, that won't be a lot. Now, after the thousand-year reign, when we go into eternity, new heaven, new earth, there's some real specific things in Isaiah that say all the former things before, they are no more. We go into that not knowing much about what it's going to be except that it's going to be perfect, it's not going to be touched by sin, but there's a lot of emphasis placed for you and I. Do you realize how uh, unique our dispensation is as far as where we are right now, what we get to do for the Lord? It's very unique to the body of Christ. This is a, this is a separate thing, the, the Jew and Gentile together in one body. And if we allow our temporary measurements of success to only be set by monetary gain and desire, that's all we're going to have. I would hate to go into the thousand-year reign with the Lord um, with not much to show for it. And I wouldn't even be able to brag on the things that I had on earth because no one's going to care at that point. Jesus is getting people to think differently about what's coming and what they're doing right now how some things might need to change. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, look at what he says here. He just got done with the Lord's Prayer, teaching uh, the proper way to approach God in prayer. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. How many of you have had your car broken into before? Okay, I have, I have two. It, isn't that a terrible feeling? I think the feeling that's the worst is when you see your glove compartment is open and nothing is really taken, but you know that they looked at your address, you know, all, all, all of that kind of stuff. And you just feel like, ugh. Oh. you're like, man, I, th- those are my things, and someone else, you know, forced their way to see those things. How many of you have had items stolen from your vehicle? Okay, that, that's a whole different thing. I have not experienced that. People broke into my Ranger and they said, oh, this poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, leave a couple dollars for him. You know, like this guy needs it. But I, I didn't have anything stolen except for, of course, the privacy of, of my vehicle. But um, you know, there and and you can spend a lot of money on those things, and they end up just getting taken in one day. How many of you have been in a car wreck with a newer vehicle? Anybody experienced that? Yeah, that's fun. We did that. That happened to us. I bought the. We bought the Nissan Rogue, and three months later, we're literally coming to church, and it was one of those slow motion accidents, where it was like I was doing my part, you know, because I'm a perfect driver. <laughs> don't don't verify that with Kyla. But this this lady, she just kept coming out and coming out, and then I don't I don't even think she saw. She just gunned it and just hit us right on the side, and our brand new brand new to us Fender just hopped off, and all these different things, and I'm We're literally 30 seconds from the church at this point. I just remember being like, oh, I'm glad my identity is not tied up in my 2016 Nissan Rogue, you know? (laughs) But for some people, that would be devastating. And not because your car has to go to the shop and you're out of transportation, but because they've wrapped up everything about themselves in the possession of their car. I'm so glad that I have not gotten into a wreck with like a high end. Maserati. They're around here, especially if you're driving in the right places. I drive very slowly around those cars. I have actually like slowed down and gotten two cars behind them because I don't even want to be in that insurance exchange, right? Like I'm driving my car, they're driving their car, there's a difference. But a lot of people would wrap up all of their identity in, in their material possessions, but very quickly those things can be gone. Has, has anybody here been involved in a house fire? I uh, praise God that you haven't. But can you imagine what that's like? You wake up to all of your possessions on your property on fire. That's a really interesting way to find out what matters. You have children, you're going for them first. And then if you can, you go after pets. But you're not going in there and saying, Ooh, my, my pet Pro, I've got to get up there and get that. All of a sudden those things differ. But afterwards, that can really destroy people mentally. That can be a hard thing to go through. Because they wrap up all of their identity in their material possessions. House fire is tragic, but it's something that we can recover from, especially quicker on the mental side, if our identity is sown in the things that are yet to come. So he, he gives the example here of the treasures here on earth, they're all susceptible to the corruption of sin. Think about it. Moth and rust doth corrupt. I remember there was our, one of our neighbors gave me a suit and this was, I, I think this suit was two times, three times older than me. And I remember I went to go put it on and as I was pulling it closer, I was getting to the point where I could, I could take both lapels and wrap them over. And I'm like, this is an expanding suit. And I look in the back and the material was just eight and through and I was just pulling it apart. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, I think our neighbor's name was Pat. I think that's who gave that to us. But I remember thinking he had good intentions with that. But uh, the moths got to it. And it was in a bag and everything. There's, that's how things go. That's how the world is. How about that? Thieves break through and, and steal, they take what is not theirs. So the counter response to that is <coughs> lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, that's an interesting teaching, this idea of treasures that can be put aside for us in eternity. But the teaching that Jesus is saying here is where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So if the treasures here on the earth are affected by sin and the treasures in heaven are not affected by sin, well what's the difference? Sin is the difference. You do not roll the dice tomorrow morning and all of a sudden your, your chances for theft have increased. It can happen to any one of us. It happens at any moment. There is none of that in eternity. And the further teaching that is revealed later on, like in 1 Corinthians and other places in the New Testament, show us that we'll be rewarded individually. There's the doctrine of crowns that you can earn for certain things that you go through. There's a crown that I can earn as a pastor or as a under-shepherd that is, is going to be, I don't want to say lifetime achievement, but it's very similar to how I look at this job here. I was telling, uh, I think I said it this morning, but I was telling Kyla earlier this week, there is no clocking in and clocking out for a pastor. And if you have a pastor like that, it could be better. But this is something that I do because it's who I am. I'm going to be tested on that. I've entered into that responsibility so that I can earn that for the Lord. I'm doing it for him. But if I'm wrapping it up with, oh yeah, you know, we had the budget meeting and I, I, I got to fight for me, you know, that's not, that's not how that goes. Look what it says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, your possession, when you get, when you look at that word treasure, a lot of people think, you know, pirates of the Caribbean all that kind of stuff, like a golden doubloons. It's not necessarily that. By the way, if you find any gold doubloons, come see me, you know, I'll just hold on to them for you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's not like some X marks the spot. This is the idea of possessions of any value, whatever they may be. But where the possessions are, there will your heart be also. Now, again, this is not the beating heart, but that's where our mind is. That, that's where our focus is. Oh, I'm getting up and going to work again because I just got to keep keep going, keep going. Got to keep putting that money away. Well, what if the stock market crashes and your stable bonds or whatever your stable stock in your 401k is all gone. Uh, 2008 called. They want to tell you that something like that very, uh, That happened. And it wrecked a lot of people. I'm not saying it's bad to save money. But if that is where everything is tied, that's where your mind is going to be. That's where your focus is going to be. I want you to look at some passages here. Let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Hold your spot in Matthew. Let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. First, Second Timothy, part of the New Testament, called the pastoral epistles, because it's it's Paul writing to a young man who is going to take a church, and um, that doesn't mean that's the only people that should read First and Second Timothy, but there's a lot of wisdom, especially for people who are in leadership roles. But I think anybody who has a family, you, 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 you've got kids and things like that. You've got an opportunity to be a light in your community. You are in a leadership role, especially as a child of God. People will look for you to fall, sadly. That's what people are waiting for. But if they see you have strength in the Lord, uh, you can avoid that from happening. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, Timothy is given this warning. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, some people would read this and say, if you allow your money to bring you into these things, this destruction and perdition is hell. I don't think that's what is being discussed here. I think it's pretty clear, and I want you to see that, because there's heavy words like destruction and perdition. It's pretty clear that a rich man can fall into deceptive patterns that end up destroying either his reputation or his life. Think of these things that are going on with these... uh, Oh, the guy's name just escaped me. Epstein. And all this list of people that were going to this island and stuff like that and his reputation. A lot of money on that list. A lot of uh, material wealth and asset possession. But it looks like people may have used that to continue into their sinful ways and now it's being exposed for all the world. That can happen with money. Now I want you to pay attention to verse 10. I was... uh, I told you this when this happened, but I was talking to a guy uh, probably like three months ago now, and I said something along the lines of, the love of money uh, is the root of all evil. And he shot back at me so hard, I would have, you would have thought he punched me. But he said, that's, that's not true, man. Money, money's not bad. Money, You know, all this stuff. And it's like, well, he heard what he wanted to hear. Because I very clearly said, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money in and of itself is not an evil thing. It's the love of it where the problem comes in. And verse 10 says that. For the love of money is the root of all evil. We just saw how the rich man can cause himself destruction and perdition. And then it's followed up with this to a young man, Timothy, who's, may I have your eyes for a moment, who's going to receive financial donations. Paul received them. He didn't go out and ask for them, but it was given to him. Timothy, as a young man, is going to be possibly approached by someone who wants to persuade him by money. I'm going to give you $10,000, but I want you to promote this author. But I want you to stop preaching on this topic because in all my wisdom and experience, it's just not very good, but it's something that the Bible teaches. You think that, you may say, well, that doesn't happen. It does, folks. It sure does. He spent some time talking to Dr. Arnold about the things that he, he's here tonight. There are stories of money that was uh, uh, offered to him, and all he had to do was just, you know, do one little thing. One little thing. Make one little statement. Or make one little plaque on, on the building in, in this way. And if he would have done that, it would have brought shame to the gospel message. It would have clearly showed that he compromised his values, his biblical values, for a one-time donation, but he stood firm. And he stood firm and did what was right by the Lord. And it didn't go well in the beginning. Things went very poorly. I'll let him tell that story one day. But you come to find out where they're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. And especially for people in the leadership position. So here's Timothy. He's about to take over a very large responsibility. And Paul gives him this warning which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. So we're talking about born-again believers. They start going after the earthly treasure, and this is what happened. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves. That's a very interesting description of what they do. Imagine, I mean, albeit graphically, but the impaling of oneself for what? Why would somebody ever do that in their their right mind? Why would someone take a weapon and hurt themselves intentionally? They've probably been deceived as to what they're holding. That wealth, that accumulation of it, that desire for it, you don't realize it yet, but you've just made a very, very serious wound. And Timothy is so strongly and lovingly warned. And look what it says, pierce themselves with many, what? Sorrows. Man, that that word is strong. Have you ever been sorrowful? Think of what we read today about our friend Hezekiah. He wept sore. It's a very different description. Some of us have been there. But then you see, just in the same chapter, a little further down, look in verse 17 charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Wait a second. There's there's those who are rich in this world and can be used by God? Absolutely. I think the lesson here that we're we're seeing is, again, the money's not the issue. How you view it and how you hold on to it, that's where the issue is. And he says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. What does it mean to be high-minded? That's lifted up. What does it mean to be lifted up? I'm I'm really glad you asked and that's a good question. Prideful. Do not be prideful because you have what other people live their entire lives to possess. You know this stuff in the media today about privilege. It drives me nuts to hear that because anybody who's living in this country, we are very blessed. I was just talking to Kyla about it the other day. We were talking about just, just on your person calculate your worth of what you're wearing today. Try to remember how much you spent on your clothes and then include your eyeglasses and then include your health or any jewelry and you begin to recognize I am blessed. To most of the world, you are a rich person. So, where's the problem come in? How you view that wealth. And that's what is said here that they be not high minded, nor Trust in uncertain riches. Ooh, this is that unproven business venture or that that opportunity. <laughs> oh man, if it hits, it's gonna be great. Sounds like gambling to me. The uncertain riches. You know how many? <laughs> you know how many people lost money on the Bucks game today? Nobody. Nobody went into that game going, oh, the over-under on this is gonna be nine. Pfft. No way. I think. The betting odds on that game were like well over 25 points total between two teams. By the way, I'm not I'm not excited about a home playoff game after today. Nine to zero in Carolina, the lowly Kitty Cats over there, Panthers, excuse me. And we're gonna yeah, we're gonna welcome in the Mighty Eagles, and we couldn't score but three field goals. You know how many people lost money today? A lot. And they probably were at a casino while they did it, and they were probably getting drunk and they're driving home to somehow hide it from their spouse that they are destroying their marriage and their kids' futures by these uncertain riches. It just became legal in Florida to bet on sports. That's a, that, that's, let's see how that goes in 10 years. It's dangerous. We shouldn't be looking for the uncertain riches. Look at the, look at the solution. But in what? It said don't trust in the uncertain riches, but in what? but in the living God. Who's that in? That's in Jesus Christ, folks. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Guess what? The little or the lot that you have in your bank account, your ability to go work and earn an honest living, that's given to you by God. Enjoy it, but not sinfully. Don't take what you have earned as a gift from God and go spend it on the uncertain riches. That's dangerous. Very dangerous, and that's what Timothy is warned. And you see that built off of the parable, or excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount that we just read with Jesus. Where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want you to take your Bible and look in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 2. I like the book of Proverbs. It's got a lot of really good one-line truth bombs, you know? You just read it and you're like, ooh, that gut punch. Any of y'all ever had the wind knocked out of you? I'll tell you this story because we have a little bit of time, but I, I played soccer as a kid, highlight as a kid. Make sure you mark that. And uh, I remember getting kicked right here in the solar plexus. You, I fell down to my knees and I looked up and I thought, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to die. And I, you're just like trying. To, what's the first thing you're trying to do? Air, I need it, I want it, I can't get it. And then as soon as you get that first gasp of air, depending on what age you are, you use all that air to cry. And that's exactly what I did. I took in so much air and I willed, I was like, what? You know? <laughs> but just getting that, that wind knocked out of you, it's like so powerful. It's just a little soccer ball. And, you know, I wasn't getting kicked by you know, Cristiano Ronaldo or anything, But that kid that kicked that ball, it was enough to knock the wind out of me. Sometimes, especially verses like this, they hit me like that. It just takes my breath away for a moment. You go, how true is that? Look in verse 2 of Proverbs chapter 10. Treasures of wickedness. Now, what we've done here is we have described what kind of treasures. The wicked kind. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing. But righteousness delivereth from death. This is interesting. You put these things into comparison. Here's what this verse is doing. It's saying the things that the wicked would say deliver them from death are unable to do it. Only righteousness can do that. So now you think about two men that are on their deathbed, one a billionaire and one a poor man. The billionaire ends up dying and spending an eternity separated from God, while the poor man ends up spending an eternity with Jesus Christ. What they did here on the earth, as far as their financial status, did not affect either of them as far as being saved for physical death. It came for them whether they were rich or poor. Jesus uses this in his account of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's very, now that's not the point of that study. But we can see death comes for the rich and for the poor. there, There is no discrimination there. What delivers a man from death, the physical death, is the fact that he'll live forever and that can only come by righteousness, which you can't buy. You can't do it. Can't tell you how many people donate. I was talking to Louie about this yesterday when we were in the hospital. By the way, there's nothing urgent about the emergency room. <laughs> Man, that, I, and there's, there's a lot of people that were hurting in that emergency room. It was just, oof. Any of y'all been to the emergency room before? Yeah, it's, that's not something you're going, ooh, let's get a cheeseburger on the way no, that's a tough thing. But we were talking and Louis was telling me how there were some billionaires that recently gave a bunch of money to excavate the Pool of Siloam. And it's actually pretty interesting, all the progress that they've made. We were just over there last year, and they had just started with the steps, and now they're getting to the point where they're getting most of the pool. And they're also getting some steps that are excavated leading up to the temple, and it's like, wow, how does that happen? Well, these billionaires are donating a bunch of money. I would guarantee. That there are some who think they are getting a certain amount of points because they're delivering towards the Christian faith. God will remember me for that. And that person may be a good humanitarian person on the outside, but they're treasures of wickedness. Why? Because they point to man's ability. That's not going to save him from physical death, nor will it save him from eternal separation. Look in Proverbs uh, chapter 10 in verse 22. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. I got a big smile on my face because that's me, man. I'm blessed by God. How? Why? How do you know that? Can we see your bank account? No. It's not there. It's in my Savior. It's in the possession of of the knowledge of eternal life. I know where I'm going when I die. I'm a rich man. I don't have anything to my name that would make me somebody of wealth or in a different tax bracket, but I know where I'm going when I die. That stuff never gets old, especially for verses like this. And then I have all these other things on the side, and I say other. I don't mean to degrade them at all, but I have a, I have a wife who loves the Lord and knows where she's going. I was just sitting in there today. I was talking to Marjorie. Marjorie was back, and they were talking in the budget uh, room in there, and I was sitting in my office, and I was just looking at... There are are two pictures on a little side table where I read in my office, and it's me holding... One of them is me holding little Remy, little Colonel Corn Remy, and I say that because she was very yellow for a little bit of time. But I'm just, you know, kissing Remy. I'm thinking, God gave her to me. That was something that 12 years ago... If you would have said, this is you with your daughter, I would have said, no way, that guy's bald. <laughs> but I would have said, <laughs> but I, I literally would have looked at that and said, but I can't have children. I limited. Then the next picture there is, you know, me just looking like a dad and Kyla looking like a beautiful mom. And we're just holding Remy on Anna Maria Island. And I'm thinking, wow, I have this too, just for a little bit of time however much time I have here, to enjoy my family. But I know I'm rich, not because of those things, but because of where I'm going to go when I die. But those things that God has given me, that's a blessing too. And I count myself a rich man. You start looking at wealth in that way, the things around you, these material things, they could all go. But the possession of eternal life makes you infinitely wealthy. Look at the rest of that verse. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. That uncertain riches that we read there in 1 Timothy, it's like a pastor who gets a hole in one on a Sunday morning. He went, played golf, skipped out on church, and he got a hole in one. Who's he going to tell? Who's he going to tell? Pastor, where were you? I was sick. <laughs> there's sorrow added to that wealth of the whole in one right? But there's a lot of people who, they'll hurt a lot of people, they'll hurt their families for a little bit of gain. And even though they may have that gain, they've destroyed the people around them. The Lord's blessings are not like that. He does not attach sorrow with it. And we do well to learn from that. Look in Psalm 37. This us be the last one that we go to, Psalm 37. Lay up treasure in heaven, lay up treasure in heaven. It's a good, good way to think. You know, when I worked at the bank, um, I had got to the point where I was over the seasonal thing, which was like 90 days. So I got my review, they were going to hold me. And they're talking about, you know, like, what do you want to do with your, you know, like your check and stuff, like how much you want to put in here and there. And I started getting really into that. I was like, ooh, my money can grow? Yeah, that, that sounds really good. But I you know, came to find out a lot of that is uncertain. There were a lot of things that were promised to me as far as returns were considered that were never a guarantee. And if you read the fine print, by the way, get glasses big enough to read the fine print, folks. You'll find out how much you're either giving away or what you're agreeing to is really not what you're agreeing to. The more I come to find that people don't know what's going to happen with this money that I'm putting away, and they're using it while, while I'm holding it, but when I started working at the church here, I took a massive pay cut, and we still had an apartment you know, that we had to pay for, and I had gotten that when I was making a certain amount from the bank. And I remember looking at Kylan and saying, we just got to trust that God will bring us through this. And we had to start changing the way we looked at our paychecks. Before it was like, you get the paycheck and you're like, all right, I saved 20%, I pay the bills on that, and they like, ooh, fun money. We called it an allowance. Pfft, I got an allowance now, you know what I'm saying? we got things to take care of. My allowance has been replaced for a long time with this thing called Nutramigen, And you all know what that is? Cheyenne's laughing because she knows, and I'm pretty sure Ashley knows too. That's baby formula. <laughs> You're like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, yeah. Neutramogen. That's uh, stuck in my mind. You go to Walmart and spend $70 a can for that because Remy had a little bit of a milk allergy, so she needed what I called the LG, liquid gold, and we spent it. You start changing the way you, you think about things. Like, okay, well, it comes in, it goes out. Blessed be the Lord that we can even do this. You're riding close, but hey, you still have it. Look in Psalm 37, in verse 16. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. So what's, what's the focus here? It's not that the poor get more. It's the poor that are righteous. Notice that what it says there. Look at it again. A little that a man, no, there's something to describe that man, a righteous man, who that's you, the little that you have is better than the riches of many wicked. So the, 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 obscene amount of money that the wicked makes is less than the little that you have as a righteous person yeah we got the power now now careful you don't want to start thinking that way about yourself why is that statement true it's the description of the man who is righteous the one who is born again who is redeemed Why is that little wealth of that righteous man more than the absorbent amount of the wicked? Because he has the Lord. That's why. That's exciting. Definitely exciting. So when we did our budget today, you know, we're crunching numbers and there's a lot of crunching going on in there. I think I told Bob three times, he's looking at me wanting to explain something. I'm like, Bob, I teach the Bible. I don't do math. Math is hard, you know? Math is hard, thus saith your pastor, you know? It's (laughs) tough, but Bob's got a mind for that. Steve has spent quite a, I think Steve spent like probably three days this week in that room back there crunching numbers and going through things, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm really glad that none of us go, we need more, we need more. We need to sound the alarm, things aren't good. You know what was said many times throughout that meeting? Well, we might not even be here next year. (laughs) That's a great way to think. Not to say we're doing that irresponsibly. Right? It's like, we're not paying the electric bill, we're not going to be here. Don't do that. That's not good. But we are looking for our Lord's return, amen? I'm not looking for somebody to come down here and say, I just won the $600 million lottery and I'm giving you 10%. I'm not looking for that to deliver us from our problems. In, 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 in all seriousness, what major problems does the righteous man have? telling you, man, we've got Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. All right, you can close your Bibles. I pray that's been an encouragement to you. If you're here today and you'd like to know how you can be a righteous man, how you can have that little turn into much, how you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die, you can know that today. This hand representing you and me, this block of sin representing sin. Put it on top of my hand because the Bible says for all of sin, and come short of the glory of God. He loves us very much. He hates sin because it separates us from Him. In order to get to heaven, we have to be sinless, not sin-less, but sinless, no sin. Before or after, at no point in our life, would be the proper standard to meet, and we all fall short. Remember, God loves us very much, but there is a penalty for this sin, and it's eternal separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. There's no amount of good works that we can pay for sin because as the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. It's not good works. It's not religious piety. We know what that is. That is, again, man trying to do something that he cannot do of himself. We need a Savior. Amen? We need a Savior. And that's what Jesus did. This hand representing Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, we see from John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And it's not He loved us so, so, so much. It means, for God loved the world in this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever, that's anybody, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you, as a sinner, put your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on Calvary, died on that cross, was buried, and rose again three days later, when you put your trust in him, that sin is paid. It's put to your account. You now have the righteousness of God. You have eternal life. You have access to riches that are unending. And it's not like we can swipe our you know, new nature debit card for purchases down here. You can't do that. People would think something's wrong with you because you're misunderstanding something. But we have heaven waiting for us, folks. And if you're here and you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ... That's not true of you yet. And so I would implore you to change your mind and believe on Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're watching online, I want to encourage you right where you are. Even though we're separated by an internet connection and a computer screen, you too can put your trust in Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to do that right now. If that's you tonight, would you write to us? Send us an email. If you're on our website, click the button that says, Yes, I'll trust Christ. And we'll do our best to reach out to you. We celebrate all of those. It's a great thing to know when people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Those of you here in the audience, it's January 7th, folks. We've had a full week in this new year. And if you watch only the news and you look at the stocks and stuff, things could be looking not that great. But I want to encourage you, the little that you do have, it's very, very important to see your wealth not in your bank account or your net worth that little that you do have is something because you're made righteous in the eyes of god don't take your salvation for granted don't think of it as the starting point and all oh, i've grown past that grow into it and if you got kids teach your kids teach them the word and i'm not talking about you sit with them and read the bible Live it. Show them what it is to be somebody who lives according to God's word. And count your blessings, folks. We've got a lot of them. Heavenly Father, we, we pray for our brother, Louis. We ask, Lord, as he uh, continues to be evaluated, that there be a diagnosis so we can uh, move forward in, in better knowledge. Lord, you're the great physician. We pray you heal him. We know that you can. Bring us back here safely for church on Wednesday night. We pray for all of those in our church family that are suffering. I think of Janine right now and the Kaminsky's as well as Jay continues to recover. Many others, Lord. We thank you for your son whose name is Jesus Christ and we pray all these things in his precious name. Amen. All righty, let's all stand together and Brother James is going to come up, Kaylee on the piano and lead us out. Thank you for that message, Pastor Jesse. We're going to do number 69. Jesus, we just want to thank you. to thank you Jesus we just want to thank you thank you for being so good well done everyone thank you for coming we hope to see you Wednesday night